for all the news you need to know. Welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show, where great people and great topics are brought together for stimulating and thought-provoking conversation brought to you by the Vibration Radio Network. Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. You guys want to say happy Tuesday to you guys. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I hope that the week is rolling off on a great note for you guys out there. Listen, folks, I'm excited. Uh, we got Dr. Umar Johnson joining us this evening. I have been getting a lot of text messages, emails, inboxes all over. Uh, people are anticipating him coming on the show tonight, you guys. So he's going to be coming on here. We're going to be talking about the power of propaganda tonight, you guys. Uh, get ready to be informed, uh, inspired, educated, and as always, I like to say conscious of what's going on around us as well, you guys. So I'm excited about having him on the show tonight. Uh, you guys out there, make sure you download our app if you haven't already. It's your radio network, 1328, available on iPhone and Android, you guys. And so Dr. Umar is going to be joining us here shortly. But I want to encourage you guys, if you've got a question or comment, feel free to call in. The number is going to be 347-326-9139. All you have to do is press the number one. We'll bring you up on the line so that you can ask your question and talk to him live right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show, you guys. So, also, make sure you share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We want to let everybody know that Dr. Umar Johnson is here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show with your host, Bianca Fly, tonight, you guys, as well. So, we're going to get things started. Um, I would be the man of the hour on the line as well. So I'm excited. You guys get ready to get those pens and papers out and prepare yourself to take notes, uh, you guys, because you're going to be in store for a treat. I definitely know it. So we're going to bring the man of the hour on here, you guys. Dr. Uma, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? All is well. All is well. Thanks for having me on the show. Can you hear me there, sis? Hello? All right, you guys, we are back. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but as promised, you guys, uh, as I told you guys, we got Dr. Umar Johnson joining us here tonight. So we're going to be talking about the power of propaganda. If you have a question, comment, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139 is the number. All you have to do is press 1 to get in on the call, and we're going to bring him in here. Dr. Umar, are you there? Yes, ma'am. Good afternoon, Queen. How are you doing? 
All is well. All is well. Getting ready for our first college tour that starts this coming Thursday. So very excited about that. A lot of loose ends to tie up at the end, but everything's going well. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to be talking about that uh, later on in the show as well. And so, of course, for the folks out there who may not be familiar with who you are, but I don't think too many are, <laughs> but tell the folks out there a little bit about yourself. Who, who's Dr. Umar Johnson? Uh, certainly. Dr. Umar Johnson is a doctor of clinical psychology, certified school psychologist, and principal political scientist, author of the book, Psychoacademic Holocaust, Special Education and ADHD Wars Against Black Boys. He practices school psychology in the state of Pennsylvania, and he also lectures around the world. Uh, He's the most requested black scholar in the country and across the globe and has been continuously for the past five years. He's founder of the College Tour, founder of the National Independent Black Parent Association, founder of Team Pan-African, and he hosts a regular Black Parent teleconference call every Tuesday morning, which we held earlier today, where Black parents okay. can get the questions answered uh, about their children. He's a Garveyite, former Minister of Education, and Marcus Garvey's UNIA, probably mm-hmm. the foremost Pan-Africanist in the world right now, definitely top five. Right. And I don't say that for arrogant reasons, just you know, you wanted me to let them know who I am, so I'm letting them know who I am. Right. Um, and so that's who that that's pretty much who I am. But I'm just a regular everyday brother who's doing what I can to try to help save our children. That is absolutely amazing, uh, Dr. Umar. I wanted to ask you, uh, what was it that made you, uh, first of all, want to get into the study uh, as far as psychology, clinical psychology? What was it that um, inspired you to go into that direction as far um, as your studies? Um, I decided to be a clinical psychologist, or I decided that I wanted to obtain my doctorate in clinical psychology when I was okay. in third grade. Um, I'm the oldest boy in my oh. family, and I didn't have an older brother to talk to, so I decided mm-hmm. I would be the big brother to other children as they got older. So that was a third-grade decision that I stayed oh. with all the way through life until I finally got my doctorate in clinical psychology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and with that, um, and, and being involved um, with a lot of the youth that you've been involved with um, and, and using that, what have been some of the, the things that um, you have noticed um, as far as using your degree um, to help encourage the kids? What has been um, some of the, 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 the understanding of what's taking place uh, with a lot of our youth, because a lot of us are seeing uh, various things that are happening in the media uh, with our youth, uh, whether that's taking place in the schools or in the in the various communities. Uh, what are some of the issues um, that uh, you have ga- engaged in conversation with our youth that are, are, are affecting them? Well, encouraging the children is never a problem. Uh, encouraging right. the parents that the children can do better, that their problem is not the mm. result of some invisible learning disability is the biggest challenge. Um, I would say that getting parents to really understand exactly what special ed is and what special education is not. A lot of our parents think that uh, special education is some sort of magical remedy uh, for low academic skills. Uh, Special education is no magical remedy. In fact, it can end up being a curse because many black children who go into special education never come Mm -hmm. out, and they rarely are academically functional 
on their grade level after graduating from high school, if they graduate right. at all. Right. Absolutely. And you have a lot of um, parents, and I remember myself um, as well being in school and seeing a huge uh, population of um, black kids, you know, in those quote-unquote special education classes, and a lot of those as well were on medications for ADHD and so forth. And so um, speak on that a little bit about how parents, you know, have to be aware of, um, you know, when you, when you go into the school system, especially when they have identified maybe an issue with your kid. Um, a lot of times they form an IEP, you know, an individualized education plan. And so a lot of times they're telling these parents, you know, where they may need, you know, medication, they may have ADHD. Um, Have you found that to be the number one source that a lot of parents um, are told um, by a lot of schools um, in reference to their children? Well, those are the weapons of mass destruction when you're dealing with black boys, uh, the learning disability and ADHD. Mm -hmm. Those are the two most frequently diagnosed conditions in the school system. I would say that parents are often willing to go along with the learning disability diagnosis because they themselves mm-hmm. are often lazy. Just to be honest, mm. the children are lazy yeah. and they come from lazy parents. So a lot of parents right. don't want to make their child try harder. They would rather give them an IEP and put them in special right. education so their child can be introduced into a world of low expectations and where they don't have to be worried about any complaints from the school about an underachieving child. So special education is often a bailout. It is a bailout for Mm. lazy teachers. It is a bailout for lazy children. And it is a bailout for lazy black parents. On the other hand, I find that black parents end up accepting the ADHD demands of the school because they're just sick and tired of being called up about their sons every other day, being told they have to come pick them up, constantly seeing the child suspended, or removed from class. So I think on the ADHD level, parents go along with it because they're just tired of being harassed by the school. Mm -hmm. But on the learning disability level, I would say more often than not, parents go along with it because they themselves are looking for an excuse to not make their children try harder. Right. And I want to ask you, Dr. Why do you believe it is that, uh, in mentioning of those parents who are who are lazy, uh, where does that come from? Is it a generational thing, you know, where they taught, you know, did they inherit, you know, kind of inherit that from their parents of not being involved, you know, in their child's life or their education? Um, is it a generational thing, you believe? Um, well, just to clarify, there are some children who do need special education. Uh, when we talk right. about the problems right. in special education, we're, not, we're largely talking about four classifications. We're talking about the learning disability, which can be reading, right. math, or other skills. We're talking about right. mild mental retardation. We're talking about ADHD, and we're talking about right. the emotional disturbance. So for your listening audience, I want them to be yeah. clear that we are not necessarily talking about the speech and language impaired child, although they are often misdiagnosed and overdiagnosed with that. We're not Mm -hmm. necessarily talking about the autistic child. Autism is real, but I have seen dozens of black children misdiagnosed with autism when they do not have it. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about blind children, deaf children, traumatically brain-injured children, orthopedically impaired children. We're talking about the LD, the ED, the ADHD, and the MR. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and as far as your question goes, some of it is intergenerational, but a lot of it right. 
I would say is socialization. I mean, black people have been socialized. They have been psychologically, we have been psychologically engineered as a population to not have confidence in ourselves. So that extends right. to every aspect of the black reality. We don't have we don't right. have confidence in ourselves to build our own businesses. We don't have confidence mm-hmm. in ourselves to successfully navigate a relationship or marriage with the opposite sex, confidence in ourselves to educate our own children, and so we don't have confidence in our children's ability to learn. Across the board, right. we suffer from learned self-helplessness, which is the result of a psychologically engineered low estimation of who we are and what we can do. Right. And with that, um, how can parents get to the point? Uh, because I, I do want to be able to give the listeners, because we do have some parents out here that are, are uninvolved uh, when it comes to their children. Um, how do parents get back to that point, Dr. Umar, where they become well, uh, involved in, very, in um, what's going on? I think that is very difficult being a black parent today. You don't have a lot of help. We're not unified. Parents are not unified. Right. And on top of that, the black parent today has a whole lot more challenges to worry about than our parents mm-hmm. had, or at least what my parents right. uh, what my parents had when I was growing up. My parents didn't have to worry right. about the Internet. They didn't have to worry about the right. cell phone. Uh, they didn't have right. to worry about a homosexual agenda against black mm-hmm. boys in the public schools. I mean, there's so much that parents have to deal with today that it's difficult, I would even say unrealistic, to expect the parent to do the job on their own, whereas mm-hmm. although I'm pretty firm in my expectations of what our parents need to be doing, I'm also compassionate and understanding of the fact that they do have a difficult challenge before them. So for me, I would lay the burden of the responsibility not at the footstep of the parents per se, but at the footstep of the black community as a whole. We as a community are failing our children. Parents Mm -hmm. are not failing their children alone. We are failing our children. Black professionals are failing our children. Black uh, Mm -hmm. professional associations, the black psychologists, the black teachers, the black social workers, the black doctors are failing our children. Uh, The black Mm -hmm. church is failing our children. Black business is failing our children. So it's never just the parents. From an African uh, cultural perspective, the village raises the children, not the parents, the village. The parents are only one aspect of that foundation. So we are failing the parents, not the children. Right. And and I know a lot of people may be wondering, um, and and if you could expand on that as far as what do you mean as far as the the community, the village um, failing our children? In what ways do you believe that uh, the village is, is failing our kids? Well, every we have every community has stakeholders. Every community right. has stakeholders. These are people who either live in it, participate in it, or benefit from mm-hmm. it. Live in it, participate right. in it, or benefit from it. And so when you look at it from that perspective, every uh, group that I just named has a responsibility to give back and participate in the improvement of black children. But we have to understand, and by the way, in every other culture, they do exactly that, and nearly every city has one. If you go to Little Italy, and nearly every city has one. If you go to Little Asia, and nearly every mm-hmm. city has one, the Arab community, the East Indian community, the stakeholders are obligated. In fact, they don't even have to be asked. They do it on their own because most of them voluntarily participate in the upkeep of who they are. 
So you automatically right. see the Jewish synagogue participate in the education of their children. You automatically right. see the businesses in the Italian neighborhood or the gas stations right. owned by the Arabs or the hotels owned by the mm-hmm. East Indians. They voluntarily participate in the education and better way of life for everyone in that particular village right. or community. We are the only people that that is not true for because the self-hatred right. of black people and our centuries-old desire to disidentify from our Africanity lies at the foundation of our issue. We are the only people in the world who are trying to actively, politically, economically, and socially disidentify from our Africanity. That's why religion Mm. is so important to black people, because our religion is our primary identity. It is not the primary identity for no other people. It is not the primary identity for Arab Muslims. They are Arab before they are Muslim. It is not the primary identity for Italian Roman Catholics. They are Italian before they are Roman Catholic. So what is a Mm. support for other cultures becomes a burden for black because we hate ourselves. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what do you believe? Um, and I see we got some calls online. I'm going to get to you guys. But where do you believe it comes from to where uh, we have um, taken on um, this health, this self-hatred, you know, where we don't want to identify um, as, as what we are, but we take on that of other cultures? Um, and w- where do you believe it comes from? You can compare the way we act to a low self-esteem child who is the victim of bullying in any playground, any public school mm-hmm. playground. The low self-esteem mm-hmm. kid wants to fit in. He doesn't think he's anybody by himself. and He's willing to right. almost die just to be given a different identity. He doesn't want to be Umar Johnson. He doesn't want to be Umar Johnson, the black kid. He wants to be a part of that gang. He wants to be part of another culture. This is why black people love to run to other people's religions. We love to move into other people's neighborhoods. We love to marry other people's sons and other people's daughters because we have a very poor racial self-concept. And our behavior is largely is largely motivated by our desire to disidentify from our Africanity and to be absorbed by other people. However, integration, amalgamation, or accommodation of black people in America will never happen because the people that we are running to want absolutely nothing to do with us. In fact, for the Mm. past 50 years, they have had no need for us. That's why the racism in American society is coming underground for a little while, from about the assassination of Dr. King, I would say probably up until the turn of the 21st century. But when you look at these past Mm. 16 years, These past 16 years, the Bush years and the Obama years, these 16 years, you've seen racism come back and attack black people like we haven't seen Mm. since the civil rights movement. And that is because the American political, the American political and economic order is no longer in need of black labor. You serve Mm. no useful purpose whatsoever in the American social reality. Absolutely none. Right now, they're simply exploiting you through mass incarceration exploiting you through homicide, exploiting you through public school miseducation so that they can pay white people a livable wage so that they can raise their families. We are not needed, and they are constantly and currently depopulating America of black people. That's specifically why they are 
constantly immigrating into the country, Arabs, uh, Latinos, Mexicans, and mm-hmm. other non-white people to replace black right. people in the political economic arena. And black people have done nothing of consequence to do anything about the fact that America is literally liquidating us out of existence. We sat by for the past eight years and let Barack Obama get away with murder. He literally got Mm. away with murder. He got away with allowing the murder of Michael Brown. He got away with allowing the murder of Trayvon Martin. He got away with allowing of the murder of Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, and nameless of other African Americans. We have to understand something, that under the control of Homeland Security, which is under the control of the federal government itself. So when a police officer kills a black boy and gets away with it, that is not just the responsibility of the city government. That is not just the responsibility of your local police district. That is an order. That is a behavior that is being signed off on directly or indirectly by the President of the United States. He is the executive Uh branch of the government. He is to execute the will and execute the law of the people. And as Dr. Mm King said, silence, silence in the face of evil and oppression is approval of that evil and that oppression. Barack Obama, along with the entire United States government, should be brought up on charges of high treason and genocide against African people. You cannot separate the president from the government he represents. I will say it again. Mm. You cannot separate the president from the government he represents. Barack Obama is guilty of genocide against black people in America. Mm. Wow. Powerful statement. And uh, what we want to do is we have a caller here on the line, uh, area code um, 334, last digit 7935. Um, State your name and where you're calling from. Hey, this is Tan Story calling from Alabama. Hey, welcome to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. You're on with Dr. Umar. Uh, You have a question or comment for him? Um, actually, I just have a comment. I just want to say okay. thank you, thank you, thank you for all the positive work that you're doing. Um, I'm a mother of three, and two of my three are young boys. So mm-hmm. the work that you're doing and just by you being out there and just trying to educate our people, I appreciate that, you know, because I come from a family that is still, they still have that slave mentality, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, down to the self-hate, you know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. a natural person, you know, and even the fact of my choice going natural, mm-hmm. I have my family who talk me out about it, you know, oh, my God, wow. that, you know, so this is a type of family, you know, that I come from, and it's a mm-hmm. family of women, you know, so it's mm-hmm. so hard as a mother and as a parent of boys to try to teach them and tell them. I mean, they can read Marcus Garvey all day, but to see a real live man that looks like them, that wants something good for mm-hmm. them, that's rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really, really appreciate you, Dr. Umar, for what you're doing. Thank you, Queen. I very much appreciate those remarks. Quick question, uh, which mm-hmm. city in Alabama do you hail from? I'm in Brantley, Alabama. You are in Brantley, Alabama. Um, how far are you from Birmingham or Montgomery? Um, I'm about an hour from Montgomery and about three and a half hours from Birmingham. 
Okay, well, if you are interested, we can definitely set up a seminar down in your town with the uh, African-American parents who are down there. So if you're interested, just send me an email, Johnson at yahoo.com, and we can make that happen this fall. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Magnificent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for calling in. We definitely, I'm glad that you called in. We hope you continue uh, listening to the show. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, you guys. And, uh, of course, um, uh, Dr. Umar definitely uh, got people going uh, with, the, with the statements about the president. Uh, in fact, Dr. Umar, we have watched um, President Obama for a while now uh, get up and make st- statements um, in regards uh, to a lot of the killings that have taken place on numerous um, black people. Um, and each and every time he's focused on um, the gun laws. Um, do you believe that him talking about, uh, you know, enforcing the gun laws is an escape goat from the real issue at hand? Oh, without question, it is a scapegoat from the world, yeah. from the uh, real issues at hand. First of all, mm-hmm. he's only talking about gun control now because of the Orlando massacre, and of course. My heart goes mm-hmm. out to the family of all those who died, whether they were black or white, mm-hmm. homosexual or mm-hmm. not, because although I do not mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form support LBGT life, I do support life, and I do not condone mm-hmm. the senseless murder of anybody, whomever they may be. However, when he talks about gun control, he largely pushes that conversation towards the white community, the Orlando massacre, the Sandy Hook massacre. Those are the types of uh, catastrophes that earn Barack Obama's gun law initiatives. Uh, and we got to keep in mind, anything that feeds the genocide out of African people will never be removed. Anything that feeds the genocide of African people will never be removed. That is to say that as long as guns are helping get rid of black people, they will never be controlled, just like abortion will never be illegal. You are out of your mind if you think America would ever make abortion illegal when black women have a higher birth rate than black women. It'll never happen. Anything that helps to perpetuate the extermination of African people will never be gotten rid of. Obama knows that. Mm -hmm. But this is just some positive PR to protect his legacy in the final months of his presidency. But let me be clear. Although I fought him, Uh, I fought us more. I fought us more because I thought we would know better. Of all the scholars in America, probably alone as being the only one telling black folks that when Obama leaves office, you will be worse off than when you were under George Bush. And I knew that that would happen, not Mm. because I'm a genius, but because black people always (laughs) do worse under black politicians. Black people always do worse under black politicians and under a black president who allegedly is the most powerful black politician of all, that means you will do your worstest under the blackest politician. And so as a result of that, Um, because politicians... Because we have, have, you know, we've had senators and we've had mayors under black leadership. And and, and as you say, it's a lot of things that end up taking place under that leadership. Why is that? All these senators Mm -hmm. and all these Mm -hmm. mayors and all these aldermen and all these council persons and all these U.S. Mm -hmm. reps they were all financed by who? White people. White. They are not financed by their community. By us. So yeah. how can you expect Umar Johnson mm-hmm. to run for mayor of Philadelphia, governor <laughs> of Pennsylvania, city councilman yeah. of North Philadelphia, 
when the campaign contributions that fuel my election are coming from the opposite community. You are never going to get a black person that carries out a black agenda when they're being financed by white people. It's just never going to happen. It ain't going to happen now, and it won't happen until hell freezes over. If you want black politicians to be loyal, to finance them with the black dollar. Instead of buying mm-hmm. Louis Vuitton bags and going on 20 vacations a year and going out to party every other Saturday like you're an overgrown teenager, instead of spending all your money on expensive houses that you can barely afford or expensive cars that are not necessary when your child doesn't even have a trust fund, okay, that's mm-hmm. what happens. We are economically yeah. devastated and economically disorganized, and you have never, ever, nor will you ever see political strength from a people who are economically disunified. Absolutely, absolutely. And why do you believe we have um, a lot of, and which we do, we we have quote unquote um, what we see as what we you know wealthy um, black African Americans. Um, why don't why don't those individuals invest their money, um, as you mentioned, to put the backing and support those um, who those black individuals who do want to run for office? Why do you never on see surface, someone you know throw that money out there to them? On the personal level, there's yeah. no benefit to them, and on the psychological yeah. level, there's no commitment to their people. See, deal with other black people. Through the lens of ego, through the lens of ego, all other cultures deal with each other through the lens of culture. We deal with each other through the lens of ego and self-hate. So when you say, well, why aren't rich blacks giving back to the black community? First of all, they don't have a cultural commitment to their community. They don't have that at all. Okay, that was destroyed, and their parents didn't give it to them. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be absolutely honest. Whether you are raised in a single-parent ghetto or whether you are raised in a two-parent black suburban family, you are not taught loyalty to your race. How many of our parents actually taught us to dedicate our lives to the advancement of our people? Hardly none of us got that. We were taught to dedicate our lives to Jesus and dedicate our lives to the teachings of Muhammad. We were never taught to dedicate our lives to our community. So it's not a, a, a rocket science as to why black people grow up, become successful, or even if they're not so successful, you're still in a position to help others, but they don't right. have any interest because there's no cultural commitment and there's no personal benefit. Whenever you ask a black person to give a hand to something black, the first thing they look at is, how does this help me? You know, I want to build a school. Okay, how does that help mm-hmm. me? Black people are right. not interested in sacrificing for the greater good. Our natural love for who we are was destroyed and it was never replaced after slavery. And, and uh, I wanted to um, ask you guys out there, um, I see a lot of people in the chat room and on Facebook. We definitely appreciate you guys tuning in to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. And if you guys are just tuning in, we are on with Dr. Umar Johnson, you guys. And as I told you guys, we're going to be talking about the power of propaganda. And so, Dr. Umar, for the folks out there, because a lot of people aren't familiar uh, with this, explain to folks what is propaganda and how it affects us. Propaganda is informational warfare. Propaganda is the art of changing people's minds about what you are doing 
so you do not have to take their lives. Let me say it again. Propaganda is the art of changing people's minds and opinions about who you are and what you are. Let's say you live in my house, and I'm domestically abusing you, okay? Uh, You either want to fight back or you want to leave. So if I want to make you a willing accomplice to the domestic abuse, I'm going to have to do what? Create a propaganda campaign of one against another one that seduces you into believing that what I am doing to you is what should be happening to you. This is exactly why black women, or any women for that matter, in a domestically abusive relationship do not leave their abuser. Because not only is he physically abusing, he's psychologically manipulating her thought process into thinking that she cannot be anything without him and that the abuse that she is receiving, receiving, she actually earned it. So propaganda is powerful. America spends no less than $500 million a year on propaganda. $500 million a year on propaganda. The CIA, the FBI, the United States government employs thousands of psychologists, thousands of psychiatrists, thousands of media specialists. They employ thousands of people who participate directly or indirectly in the art of propaganda so they can control the citizenry. Government control or effective government is the art of making your victims believe that you are operating in their best interest. What, and by the way, to really study propaganda, one has to study Adolf Hitler. You would have to study Adolf Hitler. I'm not a supporter of Adolf Hitler. I am right. not a fan of Adolf Hitler. He had nothing but contempt for African people, and he exterminated 50,000 Africans at least while he was exterminating European Jews in Nazi Germany. So I'm no fan. But Adolf Hitler and his propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, if anyone wants to study the art of propaganda scientifically, you must study Joseph Goebbels, G-O-E-B-B-E-L-S. I might be spelling it wrong. It may be A-L-S, but you have to study him. He is the man who is responsible for Adolf Hitler's rise to power. He is the man who systematically taught Adolf Hitler how to control the minds of Nazi Germany towards furthering his own end. And basically, as Hitler said, coming from Goebbels, he said, if you want to control people, do not make the lie too big. Do not make the lie too complex. He said it is very easy, easy to control people. Keep the lie simple. Keep the lie consistent. Tell it over and over again. And if you do this, people cannot help but accept your lie as the truth. He's absolutely right. Why? Because psychologically the brain is the creature of repetition. Yes, we are very intelligent people, but guess what? We are only as intelligent as the repetition of the lies that are put before us. If I tell you you ain't Mm. nothing every day, sooner or later your brain will accept it. Black people have been told that they are nothing for 400 years. Sooner or later you will accept that. White people have been told that they were superior for 400 years. Sooner or later you will accept that. I don't care how intelligent you think you are, your brain will always and forever be the victim of repetition. It doesn't matter how big the lie is, or how small the truth is, if you tell it over and over again, ultimately you will control that person's mind. And we have a Skype caller on the line here. Um, Skype caller uh, from the 1111. State your name and where you're calling from. Call you there? Okay. Okay. 
change their mind. But nevertheless, folks out there, if you got a question or a comment for Dr. Umar, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139. Uh, Dr. Umar, we're going to take a, a quick break. and want to come back, and I see some questions popping up um, for you. I want to share and get your response on you guys. So we're going to come back with more right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show, you guys. The Beautiful Butterfly Show would like to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram. That's at Instagram.com forward slash The Beautiful Butterfly Show. Also on Facebook.com forward slash The Beautiful Butterfly Show. And last but certainly not least, you can also catch up with us on Twitter. That's at Twitter.com forward slash the Beautiful Butterfly Show. And thank you once again for tuning in on behalf of the Vibration Radio Network. Check out the creative work of the author Trent Williams of www.taylorkennedymedia.com. Chapter of the Delta gives us a peek at his life changing events. And if that's not enough, Trent tells you more about his brothers and his life through memoirs in his book, The Four Horsemen. His blogs and daily stimulating quotes are published in his book, Life's Little Addiction. And when you have a need of some human coaching of life and relationships, take a look at Conversations with Trent, Volume 1 and 2, and Conversations with Trent, Limited Edition. You will find his works available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all online book retailers. Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. Vivian comes from anything but a happy home. She is sheltered, young, and beautiful with a life that is filled with drama and pain, trusting no one. Vivian makes a habit of covering up her bruises and pretending that all is well. DeMarco is a young police officer who thinks he is living the perfect married life. The unforgiving streets of Queens, New York are about to show him that he couldn't be more wrong. His wife's dirty secrets are exposed and DeMarco is left to decide if he still wants his marriage. Intimidated by Love by Melody S. Available now at all online book retailers. And welcome back, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. You guys, we are joined by no other than Dr. Umar Johnson. You guys, this evening we're talking about the power of propaganda. And if you are just tuning in, don't worry. you still got time to tune in and hear uh, the amazing knowledge that he shares with us this evening. If you're out there uh, or if you're in the phone lines already, uh, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139, and all you have to do is press the number 1, and we will bring you up on the line so that you can join us back here on the show as well. Uh, and if you've got a question or comment for him, uh, he will love to answer your questions. Dr. Umar, are you there? Yes, I am. 
Okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And um, I did have a question. As far as propaganda, um, and a lot of us um, may not notice, but we see a lot of that going on, especially when uh, the media is involved. You know, when we see different things that are taking place in the communities and people are on site and they're reporting, um, explain how the media definitely plays that significant role um, when it comes to propaganda on how they share the stories and, you know, all of that. Well, the the job of the media is propaganda dissemination. That's why CNN has basically taken over the entire uh, culture of news information distribution. If you notice on CNN, Every day, there's probably five main stories, CNN, headline news, five main stories, and you get the same five stories repeated to you over and over and over again to do what? Massage the belief into your mind that this is actually the facts of the situation. See, the job of the media is not to report a story. The job of the media is to interpret the story from the vantage point of the power structure so that you're in alignment with your oppressor's opinion. This is the job of the media. They do not report the truth. They create the truth. And because it is difficult to get any type of information that is not directly controlled by the media, when you don't have any counter data to actually push back against or challenge what you're hearing, your brain is going to accept what it sees. If you had some alternative information, then you go through what's called cognitive dissonance. That's when your mind is being told two opposite things, and you don't have to reason within yourself and determine what you're actually going to believe to be true in the final analysis. But for most of us, all of the news we get comes from the corporate-owned media. There's five corporations in America excuse me, in the world that basically control all of the information you get. There's Walt Disney, there's General Electric, there's Turner uh, T&T, there's Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, and there's like one or two more. They control 95% of all information. And when I say information, I'm not just talking about the news. I'm talking about music. I'm talking about radio, television station magazines, and publishing houses. When we talk about media, we're not just talking about the news. We are talking about all forms of communication, whether that is music, whether that is movies, whether that is websites, 95% of which are controlled by the same five companies, all of which sit at the table of the Bilderberger Group, the Council on Foreign Relations, the World Population Council, and all of which donated heavily to President Obama's campaign, Hillary's campaign, and will be uh, donating heavily to uh, Trump's campaign. And I point that out because African people have been propagated, when we speak of propaganda, into believing that there's somehow a difference between the way the Republican Party and the Democratic Party thinks about black people. You see it playing out right now with the election. Black people are going out of their way to demonize Donald Trump, who is a demon, but they're going out of their way to also evangelize Hillary Clinton like she's some sort of angel when she has never been a supporter of black people, has never done anything of significance to help black folks. She is a population control junkie, okay? She is a big population control junkie, and her husband, 
Bill Clinton, when he was president, is single-handedly responsible for the mass incarceration, mass incarceration of black men by way of nonviolent drug offenses. He's almost single-handedly responsible for this three strikes in your out mandatory uh, permanent sentence in law for federal uh, convictions. And he's single-handedly responsible for kicking millions of black women off of welfare during his presidency. So I really don't understand how Hillary Clinton could be any better than Donald Trump. The devil is the devil, and there is no lesser of two evils. Dr. Umar, are you there? Yeah, uh, that wasn't my phone. Okay. I don't know what happened. That was okay. The, uh, I got you back. <laughs> I got you. I got you back now. Um, uh, um, a guest had a question. Um, and this comes from Edward Haynes, um, out of Sacramento, California. Um, he says, with the election coming up. What do we as African Americans need to do to see some changes in this country and in the laws? What can we do? Uh, understand how politics truly operates and understand that power is the basis of all politics. In other words, mm-hmm. we should not be concerned with who becomes president because the agenda okay. towards black people will be identical, whether it is Trump mm-hmm. or uh, Clinton. It does not matter who wins. The black agenda is consistent and has been consistent for 44 different presidents. Nothing is going to change as it relates to how America treats black folk until black people force, force a change. You cannot demand a change. You cannot vote for a change. You cannot march for a change. You have to organize and force a change. Marcus Garvey said you cannot beg for your place. You cannot demand your place. You have to make your place which is to say that at this present time we should be about the business of political economic organization and empowerment so we can use our power to force change in this country. Unless we're going to do that as Frederick Douglass did it, as so many others did it, nothing will change for us. We might as well all go dig our ditches today because as it is right now, without organization, without Mm -hmm. organization, the only road left is extermination. Wow. And we have another caller here from the 678 area code, last digit is 9953. State your name and where you're calling from. Hey, B-Fly, this is Sherry from the Crisis Mind Show. How are you doing? Hey, Hello. we're doing great. We are on with Dr. Umar Johnson. You got a question or comment for him? Yes. Good evening, Dr. Umar Johnson. How are you? Peace and love, Queen. Thank you. Are you familiar with convict leasing? Uh, yes, I am. Great. My question to you is, um, do you feel that the way the society is and the way the law enforcement and the judicial system is treating the black Americans, do you feel that um, identical to how convict leasing started? I would say working for a white person, period, 
in America is a form of convict leasing. As Nilly Fuller talks about, we're already incarcerated, greater incarceration, and then there's more refined mm-hmm. incarceration. So that's all they do now is lease us. Before they owned us, and now they lease us. I simply lease you for 40 hours a week or 20 hours a week or 60 hours a week. We have to recognize that we are an incarcerated people. So I totally agree with you. They lease us out on their jobs every single day as opposed to having to own us outright. And when we look at the Emancipation Proclamation, which wasn't relevant to any state in the country at all because Abraham Lincoln allegedly freed slaves, he had no authority to free because Congress, excuse me, because the southern states, the Confederacy, had already seceded from the Union. Uh, Emancipation speaks to transference of ownership. A lot of people don't understand this. Emancipation Proclamation was about a transference of ownership. Liberation is not emancipation, okay? Liberation is Mm. freedom. Emancipation is freedom from one master only to be exchanged for servitude to another. Absolutely correct. That's the same thought process I have. It's so identical. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got another uh, question or comment uh, for Dr. Umar? No, not yet. Um, my next question is going to be, we should work on the practice mind show. <laughs> That's the next question. Cause I like this kind of conversation. So great. You guys are awesome. Uh, Keep anyone, listening. Anyone uh, who would like to invite me onto their platform for an interview conversation, all you have to do is send me an email to Dr. Umar Johnson at yahoo.com. Let me know what day and time your show comes on and I will choose a date for you. So if it's Wednesday at 2 or Thursday at 6, let me know the day and time and I will choose the date. You can also uh, text your request to 215-989-9858 or you can call and leave it on my voice message at 8444-DR-UMAR. Again, that's 8444-DR-UMAR. I just only ask that the conversation be relevant, as today's is, that it doesn't focus on gossip or sensationalism, because I don't have any tolerance for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Sherry, for calling in. All right, be fine. Talk to you later. All right, you guys. Absolutely awesome. Um, And, of course, uh, Dr. Umar, I definitely uh, wanted to talk about, um, as far as, and as you mentioned, um, and the media and so forth, um, and the changes that that we want to see. Uh, we, we covered the um, election, and so uh, Jared uh, from South Carolina wants to know: Are you simply saying that when it comes to election and, and voting um, at our local polls, we in fact should not vote? Okay, let me clarify. For the yeah. presidential election, you can vote mm-hmm. all you want. You don't right. choose a president. So it doesn't matter to me whether you voted or not. Your vote does not matter, okay? White mm-hmm. people's vote does not matter. The power okay. structure chooses the president. The United States Constitution is very clear about this. I was a political science major in undergrad. This was made very clear to us that people do not choose presidents. The only relevance that the popular vote has to this election of the president is that the popular vote informs the power structure as to who the people want. That is important because from a propaganda standpoint, you like to be in alignment with the people or you need to put the people in alignment with you. For example, right now there's a big problem 
with the presidential election because uh, Donald Trump is clearly the choice for white folks. Donald Trump is clearly the choice for white folks. However, the power structure wants Hillary. So the reason Donald Trump receives 85% negative press through the major media outlets and Hillary Clinton receives 85% positive press is because the power mm-hmm. structure is trying to massage you and manipulate white folks into changing their support uh, for Donald Trump into support for Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. And yeah. let's, take, let's take the year 2000 election. In the year mm-hmm. 2000 election, Al Gore beat George Bush. He beat him in the popular vote. He won the popular right. election. But George right. Bush got the White House because two more electoral college members selected Bush, even though nearly a million more uh, citizens voted for Al Gore. So in your lifetime, you have seen it yourself that the people's vote do not matter. Black people, once again, from a propaganda standpoint, are suffering from the illusion of inclusion, the belief that your vote matters. Your vote don't matter. White folks' vote don't matter. You don't choose the president. Now, by contrast, when we talk about Mm -hmm. state elections and local elections, I think voting can be a rather effective strategy to help support the implementation of the black agenda. Notice I said voting could be a strategy to support the black agenda. Mm -hmm. Voting is not the black agenda. The problem with Negroes is we are so damn lazy that we want voting to be the be-all and end-all because we don't Mm -hmm. want to get off our asses and do anything, and we don't want to dig in our pockets and spend anything. So voting can support implementation of the black agenda. Voting is not the black agenda. And it is also important to state that until we organize and chain our votes together, voting will never benefit black people locally, statewide, or nationally, because in a majority, excuse me, in a democracy, the majority rules. America is an alleged democracy. There's more white people than black, and there's almost more Latinos than black. So you're not even number two anymore. You're number three. So that means you have to bring your votes together and leverage them as a block of power so they can be used to help you. But as long as we keep on identifying as Democrat, identifying as Republican, choosing between Hillary and Trump, that is a mistake. What we should do is divest from membership in all major political Mm -hmm. parties and then start black political unions in every state, and then we leverage our votes irrespective of whether the candidate is a Democrat or Republican to get the most for our votes. What do you do when you go shopping in the supermarket? Are you dedicated to buying Frosted Flakes from Kellogg's, or are you open to getting the no-frills Frosted Flakes from Pathmark? Mm -hmm. And are you even still Mm -hmm. open to getting the new uh, brand of uh, Frosted Flakes. What is going to determine which box of Frosted Flakes you pick up? First of all, you're going to look at mm-hmm. the ingredients, and once you see that they're consistent, you're going to look at how much you get, and you're going to see that that's consistent, and then you're going to look at uh, the price. And ultimately, whichever product is going to give you the biggest thing for your dollar, that's how you shop. That's how you shop. Black people don't right. do that. We will go in and pick up the Kellogg's Frosted Flakes just because it's Kellogg. Because right. it's Kellogg. We ain't going to check it right. out. We ain't going to look at the ingredients. We ain't going to look on right. whether the box of uh, Frosted Flakes is stale. 
because it's Kellogg's and we love Kellogg's, we're going to buy it. And that's exactly what we've been doing with the Democratic Party, which is why they don't take us serious and Republicans don't take us serious either. It's time for a political paradigm shift in black America. As I said, organization or extermination. Absolutely, absolutely, and of course, uh, Dr. Umar, as you mentioned um, earlier in the show, which I want people to be aware of um, in case they're in the areas, you're doing um, your college tour, uh, your first annual college tour. Tell us folks um, about this college tour because you are definitely covering a lot of areas. So give the folks the details on uh, this college. Uh, Yes, ma'am. Indeed, I'm very excited about it. I want to thank the Most High God as well as the divine spirits of the universe and my Egun ancestors and the Gungun Collective African ancestors for making this a possibility this summer. I had to cancel it last year because of financial Mm -hmm. challenges, but this year I was able to save up enough money to help the parents pay for their children's tour. So we're going to go from June 30th. To July the 14th, we will be hitting a whole bunch of colleges as well as black history landmarks. What makes my college yeah. more unique is it is a black college and consciousness, black college and consciousness tour. So, yes, we will be going to Cheney and Lincoln and uh, Howard and Bowie and Coppin and Morgan and Delaware State and University of Maryland Eastern Shore and Hampton and Virginia <laughs> Union and many other colleges, but in addition to that, we will be going to the Malcolm X Center, the Audubon Ballroom, where Brother Malcolm was murdered. We will be going to the Apollo Theater. We will be going to the Great Blacks and Wax Museum. We will be going to the Nat Turner Revolutionary Trail. We will be going to the African-American Civil War Museum. We will be going to the Reginald S. Lewis Museum, the Philadelphia Zoo, the Baltimore Aquarium, the Lest We Forget African Holocaust Museum. Dorney Park, great adventures. I mean, it's fun and Bob as well, not all learning, because I want them to enjoy the two weeks as well, but it is a mix of education and exposure to some of the greatest minds in African history and some of the greatest places in the African experience. And so, again, June 30th to July 14th, we have about two spots available. It's $2,000. That is the fee that parents must pay. And Dr. Umar Johnson pays for the rest of the tour, which is approximately $1,500 more. So I saved up my money to help the parents with that. And so it is a joint venture. Me and the parents, we're financing this together. And if anyone has a son or daughter between the age of 11 and 17, then you can get them to Newark, New Jersey, this Thursday, the day after tomorrow, uh, between 3 o'clock and midnight. We would love to have them on the tour. We have a coach bus, bathroom on the bus. Uh, They're going to be watching conscious uh, videos, uh, DVDs, uh, movies. They're going to watch the Tuskegee Airmen, the Marcus Garvey story, Men of Honor. I mean, there's so many movies I got lined up for them to watch. So even when they're on the bus, they're receiving an education. At the hotel room, I will be hosting seminars. And obviously, when we go to the different sites and attractions and universities, they will be getting another education. It is my goal that on July the 14th, when, when our parents show up to pick their children up, or when we drop mm-hmm. those children off because some of them are going to be flying in, uh, being uh, trained right. in or mega bust in, it is my goal that when their parents see their child, they will know before the child even speaks that Dr. Umar Johnson, with the help of God, changed my child forever yeah. for the best. I'm going to transform Absolutely. those babies in 14 days. They're going to learn more, more in 14 days from Dr. Yeah. Umar Johnson than they have learned in public school for more than 180 days a year. 
And if I may say, if I may say, if anyone would like to make a humble donation to help Dr. Umar Johnson cover the remaining balance of the college tour, if you would like to help me make the ends meet, please uh, donate. Uh, You can donate by way of paypal.me forward slash Umar the Psychologist. I I repeat, paypal.me slash U-M-A-R, T as in Tom, H as in Heather, E as in Early, psychologist, P-S-Y-C-H-O-L-O-G-I-S-T, Umar the Psychologist, one word, paypal.me slash Umar the Psychologist. You might want to help pay for a kid's meal one day, pay for their admission into the Let's We Forget Museum, pay for their admission into the Great Blacks of Wax Museum, whatever you can donate. If it's only $10, that will cover an admission. If it's $20, that will cover a meal. If it's $50, that will cover a half-night stay at the hotel. So anything that any of you listening to this show can afford to help me with covering this tour, I ask you to humbly make your donation. Anything will be accepted. Absolutely awesome. And it goes back to what you were saying um, earlier in the show um, about, you know, if, if things are are told to us, uh, we begin to believe it. So you have these kids, and so they're able to go around and get this exposure and, and get this knowledge. And so they believe that they can adopt these principles of the people um, that they are learning about and that they can go and, and create their own businesses and create, you know, their own schools and so forth. So I love the fact that you are definitely taking teens, um, especially at, at the age of um, molding things within them um, and giving them that exposure. I definitely believe that is an awesome, awesome experience. We also want the parents to know that we need their help and support and participation with building the National Independent Black Parent Association, the National okay. Independent Black Parent Association, which was organized in Baltimore, Maryland, May 27th to the 29th. We have approximately 26 chapters that are currently being scheduled to be built. If anyone is interested in starting a chapter of the National Independent Black Parent Association, our all-new organization, which will help organize and advocate for black parents and children in the seven key areas of special education, school discipline, school finance, school policy, social support, parent advocate. If you want to bring a chapter to your town, please email me, Dr. Umar Johnson at yahoo.com. We will be holding our second regional conference, our second regional conference for new chapters. Anyone all over the country are invited. It will be held from September 9th, excuse me, 8th through 11th, September 8th through the 11th, the evening of Thursday, September the 8th, until the morning of Sunday, September the 11th. If you're interested, you have to come to the training. You cannot start a chapter unless you come to the training. So September's training will be in the South, Southern Regional Conference, but again, you're invited from all over the country. And then the West Region will host the conference in January, and it will be in Oakland, California. So you can be in Texas uh, this September or Oakland, California in January, but you must come to a training if you want to start a chapter. Okay. Awesome. And uh, Dr. Umar, I also wanted to ask you where you guys um, still, at one time you were raising money uh, for the St. Paul's College in Lawrenceville, Virginia. Are you guys still doing that as well? Oh, without question. Without question. Okay. Uh, Tell us a little bit um, about that. Um, St. Paul's College in Lawrenceville, Virginia. Yes. uh, The St. Paul's College is a historically black college that closed three years ago. 
the college is still for sale. Uh, truth be told, I don't think anyone is interested in that college more than I okay. am. I did hear some disturbing news that they may have sold the student center, which is a relatively brand new uh, building on the campus with a state-of-the-art bowling wow. alley in it. I heard they may have sold wow. that to the local community. Um, I hope they didn't, but it sounds like they did. Nonetheless, the rest of the college is still there. At this point, okay. I am on cruise control. I am on cruise control yeah. because St. Paul's is still there. The donations are yeah. still coming into FDMG Academy. I want your listening right. audience to know that they can help us reach that $2 million by donating, and there's two ways you can donate. Uh, you can donate online at GoFundMe.com forward slash Dr. Umar. Again, that's GoFundMe.com forward slash Dr. Umar. Um, or you can donate by mailing in a check or money order. And by, by, by the way, most donations come by way of check or money order, and that can be sent to, payable to, FDMG Academy, or they can spell it out, Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey Academy. P.O. Box 6872, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19132. Again, FDMG Academy. P.O. Box 6872, Philadelphia, PA, 19132. We are, and I will know soon because I have to make another deposit of donation checks, uh, we are near or will soon be passing the $700,000 mark. When you go to the GoFundMe site, I think we are passing 300000 right now, but that is not the sum total of the donations. Most donations are okay. mailing. So we are actually uh, about to pass 700000 I believe that we will hit a million dollars by the end of the summer, at which time I will go back to St. Paul's College and see if they're willing to give up the school. Uh, but I'm not, la- I'm not locked into St. Paul. That is my first choice. But I'm also considering right. building the school in Africa itself, and I'm also considering okay. building the school, buying a regular school building anywhere in America and just starting, you know, from the ground up and just buying a regular right. school. My concept is residential education. My concept is okay. Washington, residential education. However, if I have to start with a day school before I can move to a residential school, then that's what we will do. So right now our options are open. The money is still coming in. We want you guys to keep on donating. It's just a matter of when and where. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when and where the school will come. Um, I've also been told uh, by way of uh, spiritual advice that right now I need to be in cruise control. I need to just sit, be patient, and let the universe Mm -hmm. catch up to me in terms of the design and the destiny that it has in place for me. So I'm just going to be a little bit patient with the school yeah. program as I was advised to do spiritually. Awesome, awesome. And uh, for you guys out there, I will be sharing that information on the Beautiful Butterfly Show page um, on Facebook as well so you guys uh, can connect with him and donate um, if it's in your heart to do so. Um, I will be putting that information out there. Uh, for the tour as well um, as for the school as well, so you guys can be a part of that. Uh, Dr. Umar, um, one more question, of course, uh, coming from Devin. Before you you take that question, before you take that question, if I may, if I may, I wanted to let your listening audience know that if they're on social network, they can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram, at Dr. Umar Johnson. On Facebook, I use my Yoruba last name, Ifatunde. So on Facebook, you connect with me at Dr. Umar Etunde is spelled I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E. I-F-A-T is in together, U-N-D-E. Also, for the benefit of your listening audience, I wanted them to know that I will be hosting a For Sisters Only Relationships and Dating 
brunch okay. at the African American Museum in Dallas, Texas, on Saturday, July the 16th from 9 o'clock until 2. The next day, we will be back in Dallas at the Texas Theater for a community lecture. Doors will open up at 2 o'clock. That's on the 17th. And then uh, from Dallas, I will be in Brooklyn, New York, at the Masonic Temple in Brooklyn on Tuesday, excuse me, Wednesday, July the 20th. And then I will be in Richmond, Virginia, Friday night, July the 22nd. We then go to Africa for my annual Africa tour, July the 24th until August the 8th, Senegal and South Africa. If anyone's interested, email me or text me. The deadline is Friday, July 1st. The cost of the trip, $4,600, everything included except your meals and your spending money. When I come back from Africa on August the 8th, I will be speaking for the Association of Black Psychologists Annual Convention. Uh, I will be speaking on Thursday, August the 11th for the Black Psychologist in Washington, D.C., Full City Marriott. That's a 6 to 9 o'clock program. I will then be in St. Petersburg, Florida for the first time. St. Petersburg, Saturday, August the 13th. I will be in Bluefield, West Virginia, Tuesday, August the 16th. I will be keynoting the Marcus Garvey birthday celebration in Ocho Rios, Jamaica, on Sunday, August the 21st, what happens to be the anniversary of my birth and Nat Turner and, and Nat Turner Revolution birthday as well. And then after that, I will be in Boise, Idaho, Friday, August the 26th, Chicago, Illinois, Saturday, August the 27th. Wow. Awesome. So, um, in other words, you guys don't have a uh, opportunity not to catch Dr. Umar. Exactly. They better come now because I'm going to start spending more time out the country. I am a Pan-Africanist. I am the prince of Pan-Africanism. I travel out of the country a lot. I'll be in South Africa the entire month of October. I will be in Austria uh, from August the 29th. Through September the 7th, I will be in the Turks and Caicos Island in the Caribbean, November 14th to the 19th. I will be in London 8th. So I will be traveling internationally more now than okay. ever before. So you cannot wait okay. for me to come to your city. If I am two, three hours away from you, if you respect the message that much and support the man, you need to go ahead and take that drive. Absolutely. 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 And uh, I wanted to... Um of course, I share this question uh, with a listener who were listening earlier in the show. Uh, this comes from um, Justin out of Atlanta, and he wanted to know, uh, with all of the marches and, and the protests uh, that we have seen take place uh, on TV over the last uh, couple of months uh, pertaining to a lot of the injustices that have happened uh, with the killing of a lot of black people, why no progress? Do we keep because... on marching without anything happening. Okay, ahead, let Dr. me be Martin. clear. I am yeah. not opposed to marching because I see marching as propaganda. I see marching mm-hmm. as a way for African people to galvanize other African people towards our collective work and responsibility. So for example, I'm okay. going to be hosting I'm going to be hosting an ex offender conference really soon. An ex offender okay. conference really soon. And by the way, if anyone mm-hmm. listening on the line would like to host the National Black Ex-Offender Conference in your city. It's going to be called the Underground Railroad, the new Underground Railroad 
first annual okay. National Black Ex-Offender Conference. Please let me know that you're interested in hosting with ideas on a venue that can hold at least 1,000 people. But nonetheless, right. you have to exert force. Marching gets people's attention, but it doesn't change anything. Right. You have to use right. power. Let's, let's be clear. Our relationship with white people is a power relationship. It is mm-hmm. not emotional. It is power. Power. White people do what they do to black people because you let them do it. Right. We acquiesce. We give consent to this. You don't have mm-hmm. to participate. You choose to mm-hmm. out of fear and convenience. Let me say it again. You don't have to participate. You choose to out of fear and convenience. You see, so if we want to change things, we're going to have to change the way we relate to the power system. How do we relate to the power structure? White people do something, we go march. White people do something, we pray. But you're not dealing directly with the structure. What did Dr. Right. King do? He confronted the structure. What did Frederick right. Douglass do? What did Harriet Tubman do? What did Ida B. Wells do? What did confronted the system? We don't confront the system. You know what we do? We give lectures and we talk about culture and African mm-hmm. history and becoming a vegetarian right. and all of this. And don't get me wrong, it's all relevant. It is all right. relevant, but it does nothing to change the power dynamic between black people and white folks until you confront your enemy in a systematic way that puts your power into action, you change nothing. Love it. Love it. Great, great response. And uh, we have lots of callers on the line uh, to you guys. Uh, We are going to get Dr. Umar's uh, final remarks on the power of propaganda. So if you're on the line, um, go ahead and press that number one so you can get your question or comment in and speak to him live if you now on the me, air. Can, uh, what time do you normally end, generally? Um, in 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Okay, okay, because I was going to say if you wanted to go an extra half hour, we could. But if you only set for okay. that, that's fine. Okay. Um, we'll see because uh, we got some callers actually pu- uh, pulling in now. Uh, let's go to area code 203, last digits, 1534. State your name and where you're calling from. Greetings. My name is Andy from Stanford, Connecticut. And my okay. question, is it necessary for African countries to be members of the United Nations? Is it necessary? It would be wise. I don't think anyone is required to participate in the U.N., but it would be wise so you know what the hell going on because if you're not there, during those U.N. national summits, you don't know what the white man is up to. So I think it would behoove African heads of state to be represented at the U.N. so you at least are sitting at your enemy's table and can effectively strategize based on what his next agenda move is. So I think they should be, just like just like I want some black folks in the police department, I want some black folks in the fire department, I want some black folks in the FBI and CIA so they can bring back critical intelligence to the community so we can more effectively navigate our agenda. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Do you have another question um, for Dr. Umar? Or you... Yeah. Um, is, okay. Do you think a capitalistic economy is better than a cooperative enterprise when it comes to building up the African economy? No. Uh, first off, I think black people have uh, – been miseducated about capitalism and communism. Uh, Capitalism is not earning money. Capitalism is the private ownership of the means 
by which wealth is generated. So some black folks, uh, some reactionary revolutionaries in the conscious community believe that whenever someone has a business, they are engaging in capitalism. Last time I checked, black people were engaging in business before there was any white folks or any system of economics known as capitalism. Capitalism is not buying and selling. Capitalism is controlling so other people don't get an opportunity. Same thing with communism. I think we've been miseducated about communism. A lot of black socialists think that communism and socialism is the way that black people need to go. Not at all. I am mm-hmm. not a Marxist. I am not a Leninist, and I don't need white folks to teach me how to economically uh, provide for black people. Communism is a offshoot of capitalism, which basically says that the government should control everything and dictate to the people how poor they should equally be. So I'm not a fan of communism or capitalism. I am a fan of pan-Africanism. And being a fan of pan-Africanism, I'm a fan of traditional African culture, which basically says that we collectively will determine what is in the best interest of African people. You cannot bring to the African community of tomorrow the outdated and outmoded white and African excuse me, white and Negro strategies of yesterday. We must stay true to our African principles, but you do not have to stay true to the manifestation of those principles. What am I saying? Unity is an African principle. What am I saying? C is an African principle. Does that mean you have to dress exactly as African people did in traditional Africa to be African? Does it mean you have to walk and talk as they did to be African? I think we have confused the principles of Africanism with the manifestations of Africanism, which can change over time. Look at Chinese people. Chinese people don't still wear ninja outfits and samurai outfits, and they don't necessarily dress the way that they dress in ancient China, but they are still true to the principles of honor amongst their people. They are still true to the principles of secrecy amongst their people. They are still true to the principles of all for one and one for all. They don't look like Chinese people used to look. They don't necessarily act like Chinese people used to act 5,000 years ago, but they are still committed to the principles upon which their culture was founded. Black people need to come up to date and stop thinking that everything we do has to be about incense, shea butter, drum beating, and dashikis. You have to transform your form so you can stay relevant to the black children up to Wow. Thank you for answering my question, Dr. Moore. Thank you, my brother. And I don't know how right, you live you. from Albany, New okay. York, but I will probably be speaking in, in Albany, New York uh, sometime in September. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling in. Awesome, folks. And I have, um, uh, we, we do have uh, 40 more minutes um, I've been in for. Go ahead and use it up. Um, if you got it, we might as well use it up. I neglected uh, <laughs> to say. I neglected to say that I will be in Fayette, Mississippi for the first time September 15th. I will also be in at Kentucky State University, which is a historically black college, Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky. I will be there on Tuesday, September the 20th, and I will be in Des Moines, Iowa for the first time. Des Moines, Iowa, Thursday, September 22nd. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what we're going to do is, guys, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back, uh, but we're going to talk to Dr. Umar um, about one of the things that uh, Dr. Umar uh, speaks on, um, and that is the war, uh, the war against our our black youth, um, which I know you guys, uh, a lot of you guys definitely um, had questions pertaining to that. So we're going to get those answers for you guys when we come back. Uh, So you guys make sure you stay tuned in right here to the Beautiful Butterfly Show.
Yes, it's finally here. It's official. Signed with Universal, Miss Renetta Mays with You Got Me Open. Live from Flame Studios, Vibration Radio, Taylor Kennedy Media, and of course, YourRadioNetwork.com. Buy that. Cop that. Hell, I don't care if you burn me, but just support that. Miss Renetta Mays, You Got Me Open. down and simply wanted someone to fully understand your life? Someone who wakes up every day and does their best to provide and protect their loved ones the way you do? Someone who has been confused, lost, scared, or just trying to figure out how to balance their life spiritually, physically, emotionally, and financially? If so, Life is Outstanding is the book for you. Anthony promises his readers that you don't have to be perfect to live an outstanding life. Hey y'all. It's Coach Michelle Jackson. And when I'm not busy coaching, motivating, or writing, I listen to Bianca Fly on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. This piece, this piece be for all the lyrics that when put together made beautiful sounds, but made the assumption that nobody heard them. Well, I want you to know that I heard you. I heard you lyrics. I heard you through concrete walls, roach-infested halls. I heard you through mama sobs or praying to the Lord not to take her baby away. I heard you through lonely, cold nights, and I didn't ignore your pleas just because there was no drama in my life because to me, your melody was still beautiful. No matter how it was brought forth and it needed to be heard because everybody got a song that needs to be sung from the man on Fifth Street who's singing the blues to the motherless child whose life has been cruel. Even those who go to sleep hungry at night and them lyrics right there, them lyrics right there sometimes just don't sound quite right. But I heard you. I heard you through tracks that ran up and down arms from getting high in the middle of the night, from lies that caused you to be tongue-tied, from scratches on his back from making sweet love for the very first time. I, I even heard the couple that prayed together with a combination of baritone and alto giving a perfect pitch. So for all the lyrics who thought no one heard you, for all the lyrics who thought no one heard you, know that I heard you. I heard you coming from alleyways. I heard you through babies left in trash cans, from long bus rides home so you can embrace loving arms, from hearts that beat irregular to generational curses that went unseen. Remember, I heard you because everybody got a song that needs to be sung for lyrics that were 
tasting bars and prison by a system that refused to believe that they were stars from outcries that were felt in the pit of your soul. You see, I heard the beauty of a story that went untold. So if nobody did or ever wanted to, remember, I listen just for you. Remember, I heard you lyrics because everybody has a song that needs to be sung. And welcome back, everyone, to the Beautiful Butterfly Show. I'm your host, Bianca Fly. You guys, make sure you go and download our app. That's YRN 1328, and you can listen to this Beautiful Butterfly Show and all the awesome uh, hosts that we have over here on your radio network. And, you guys, if you got a question or comment, feel free to call in. The number is 347-269-139. All you have to do is press the number 1. Or if you're on the phone lines already, go ahead and press that 1. If you got a question or comment, and we'll, we'll let you speak with Dr. Umar Johnson, uh, who is our special guest this evening, you guys. And uh, for um, folks asking, uh, that piece was entitled Lyrics by Flowetic Flo Malone, uh, coming from her album entitled Flowetic uh, Tears, you guys. So make sure you go check her out on Amazon as well. Uh, Dr. Umar, we had a question coming from Facebook. Uh, Willie Jones, he says, what does Dr. Umar think about the recent Brexit? I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and Great Britain um, leaving the euro? Uh, say that again. Uh, he says, what does Dr. Umar think about the recent um, Brexit and Great Britain leaving the euro? Not really. Oh, leaving the, uh, the European Union. Yes. Um I have not yet deduced my full conclusion of that. I am still pondering the information uh, to see exactly what that is about. Okay. Okay. I mean, awesome. we need to keep in mind, though, that that England, you know, was never really a full member of the European Union anyway. See, when you go to England, mm-hmm. the currency is not the euro. See, for all countries in the European Union, they have common currency. It's called the euro. When you go to Great Britain, they still use the pound. They never switched their currency over. So, um, I mean, for me, it wasn't that great of a transition, but I do believe that there's something deeper there, so I'm doing my research on that presently. Okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we definitely uh, thank you for your question, uh, Willie Jones, as well. And uh, make sure you guys continue to hit me up with your questions, Dr. Umar. We'll definitely be, uh, I would love to answer those. And, of course, before the commercial, uh, Dr. Umar, we talked about um, the question, which we talk about, um, speak on a lot as well, is the war on our African-American boys. Um, let's talk about this. Why um, is this taking place, and, and what can we do about it uh, to keep uh, it from reoccurring over and over again? Well, first we've got to be clear that the war against black males has always been a war against black males ever since we landed mm-hmm. in this country. Of course, we were here before slavery, but I'm speaking of those who came over as enslaved Africans, which my family did. My family was not mm-hmm. here before slavery. My family was brought here through slavery. So nonetheless, we, the black man has always been public enemy number one. There's nothing new to that. Mm-hmm. That's 400 years. If you count from the founding of the 13 colonies in 1619, we'll be celebrating 400 years of American oppression in uh, 2019. So we are only three years away from your 400 years 
as prophesied by the Bible. And I'm going to do all I can to make the biblical prophecy a reality by creating some repatriation opportunities for Africans who want to leave this country. In fact, one of my other initiatives, and I know I have several, we've talked about the college, excuse me, we've talked about the college tour, we've talked about the FDMG Academy, mm-hmm. we've talked about the National Independent Black Parent Association, we talked about the Ex-Offender Program, and now we're talking about the Repat 2017 initiative of mine where I'm going to take African people, us from the West, to Africa for 8 to 12 weeks consecutively on the East Coast and 8 to 12 weeks consecutively on the West Coast, and we're going to live there amongst the people to study the mm-hmm. economics, the health care, the politics, the social, the religion, everything to make an informed decision as to whether or not this would be a good place to repatriate African people to who want to quit America. And if we decide right. that that is the right place, we will begin the process of laying down the groundwork to create an African community of returning citizens in that country. So if anyone listening is willing to go to Africa for 8 to 12 weeks consecutively to help us do this groundwork, you will not be living in a hotel. You will be living in the community with the people. It's not a bourgeoisie trip. You need to go somewhere else for that. But if you're interested in being a part mm-hmm. of a serious pan-African, African redemption repatriation task force, then please let me know. Eight to 12 weeks in East Africa, eight to 12 weeks in West Africa, you don't have to do both or you can ask to do both. But getting back to your question, we've always been public enemy number one. The only reason why the assault on black men has intensified, as we discussed at the top of your program, is the fact that black people are no longer economically useful in America. You have no, what do you do with 40 million black people who you cannot deport? You can't deport black people. Why? Because mm-hmm. slavery destroyed your psychological connection to Africa. So you don't know if you belong to the Zulu people. You don't know if you belong to the Akan people. You don't know if you are Yoruba. You don't know if you're Igbo. You don't know what you are. So slavery destroyed your psychological connection to Africa. So you cannot deport black folks. So if you want to get rid of black people, you got to do what? Kill them from within. Homicide, mm-hmm. suicide, uh, mass incarceration, police extermination, uh, sexual frustration through the LBGT population control strategy, and otherwise, if you want to get rid of black folks, you got to kill them. And that's exactly what America is doing to black folks, killing us, holding our numbers steady as they allow the numbers of all other non-white people in America to expand. To expand. And um, Jasmine um, out of Colorado wanted you to expand on what is Pan-Africanism? Pan-Africanism, the only solution for African people, is is the black man's oldest formal ideology, and it Mm -hmm. can be summed up into four principles. I'll make it real simple. Number one, I want your listeners to understand that Pan-Africanists believe in freedom of religious practice and expression. So we do not dictate religion, as most other ideologies do. We don't care if you're Muslim, Christian, Hebrew, more, be what you want to be, but be Pan-African. Pan-Africanism means all African. It means all are one. It means that we identify as being African first. That's what we are. I'm an African who happens to be a Muslim. I'm not a Muslim Mm -hmm. who happens to be an African. I'm an African who happens Mm -hmm. to be a Christian. I'm not a Christian who happens to be an African. The African is the noun. It is never the adjective. We would argue that instead of being African-Americans, because African becomes the adjective that describes the type of American, you should be an American-African. American should be the adjective that describes the type of African that you are. So we believe in identifying with being African. We believe that all African people in the world are one family, whether you're light-skinned, dark-skinned, 
whether both of your parents are African or one of your parents is African, whether you speak Spanish or English or uh, Igbo or Yoruba or, or Zulu or Swahili, whether you're Muslim or Christian, whether you live in uh, London or North Philly or Brooklyn or uh, Johannesburg or Jamaica, all one family. And we also believe that we have divine obligation to solve our problems alone without any outside interference from any other race. We do not hate people. We are not bigots, but we understand that self-determination is an obligation that all God-fearing people have, and we believe we have an obligation to almighty supreme consciousness to fix the problems that we allow white folks to create for us. And um, you mentioned earlier about um, the mass incarceration of a lot of African males. Uh, what, um, in your studies and in, in going around and so forth, uh, why is this? Uh, because you have uh, men serving 20-plus years for marijuana charges, yet, you know, uh, uh, other people who have committed crimes such as murder, um, and even as we've seen lately in the news, uh, college students committing rape and they're getting six months of time. Why is this? Why is it? Because America is based on white privilege, and America okay. is based on African dehumanization, period. Keep in mind, my queen, that before we could fight for equality, we had to fight for freedom. And before we could fight for freedom, we had to fight for our humanity. Look okay. at this now. Look at this. You had to prove that you were a person. Imagine how that must have felt. It's one thing to fight to be free. You do not have a right to own me. That's one thing. But before you even could fight for the right to not be owned, you had to fight to prove that you were worthy of the title human being. So you had to prove that you were people. Then you had to fight. You had to fight to be a person. You had to fight to be a right. human being. Then you had to fight for freedom. Then you had to fight for equality. And now you're fighting for survival. This is the fourth stage for your humanity. Our second stage, fight for your freedom. Our third stage, fight for our equality. We are entering the fourth stage of African survival, and that is fighting for our survival. They want to not just dehumanize, not just control, not just uh, deny. They want to destroy. We are in our worst state we've ever been in since slavery. This is the worst. All other previous struggles took place within the context of a necessity for black workers. All other previous struggles in America took place within the context of us being black workers. They needed us. We were needed. You're not needed no more. This is an extermination. Mm -hmm. That purple right. that's coming out, everybody needs to go and see that. I got a funny feeling. I got a very funny feeling that the purge three, Chin year, I got a very funny feeling that there's going to be some allegorical hits and messages in that movie about America's place for black people. Hmm. And, and, and what are your thoughts? Okay. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to ask you as far as because uh, we have a lot of listeners uh, who have uh, family and loved ones, of course, incarcerated. Um, what do you say um, to them, Dr. Umar? Uh, will there be any change 
um, as far as this mass incarceration and how it affects specifically um, black people. Will there be any change? Okay, let's go back to slavery. Harriet Tubman openly defied the slave regime. She Mm -hmm. went for and hid him away from the government. Punishable by death, she continued to do her work. Guess what? Mm -hmm. We're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to steal away our own people. A new underground railroad, they don't even show up to court. They are hidden. You do not get them in terms of changing these laws. I mean, you're going to have to disrupt the system. You can get changed, but you have to disrupt the system. The problem with black folks is we are not a sacrificial generation. Black folks are materialistic. They're not sacrificial. We are in love with labels. We in love with Louis Vuitton and Nike and big trucks and 20 packs of perm in our hair. That's what we in love with. We're not a sacrificial people. There ain't no black folks out right. here trying to go, to go to jail so other black folks can be free. We already talked about the selfishness that is endemic within a black reality. It's not, we know what to do. Let me give it to you real simple. I'll give it to you real simple. You can change this in three steps. Disrupt the World Series, NBA Finals. Disrupt the Super Bowl. Do that, all three of them, in 2017, and you will force the white man to come and sit at the table with you. However, there's a price to that. Some of us are going to get killed doing that. Some of us are going to go to jail doing that. Some of us are going to be permanently dismembered and life destroyed for doing that. Oh, there's a price to pay. Freedom ain't free. Problem with your brothers mm-hmm. and sisters in America, they do not want to pay the price for freedom. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. It's not hard. Mm-hmm. Let it happen to Latinos. Let it happen to Jews. Let it happen to Arabs. Let it happen to East Indians. Let it happen to Native Americans. Let it happen to any mm-hmm. other cultural group in this country, and they will do just what I said. They will disrupt the world cities. World Series and cost this country billions. Mm-hmm. They will disrupt the NBA and cost this country millions of dollars. Black folks know what they got to do, but we don't want to do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Michelle, um, out of Philadelphia, wants to know what are your thoughts on, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's been circulating all over social media, what are your thoughts on the Jesse Williams speech he gave on the BET Awards. She wants to know that. Uh, I'm going to I commend yeah. my brother. It was remarkable. It was powerful. I actually dropped the meme on Instagram today where I was uh, <laughs> uh, speaking as Jesse, and I said, yeah, I've been listening to Dr. Umar's speeches when I prepared my <laughs> lecture, but it's okay. The brother yeah. is the bomb. Some people took it out of context. It was actually a shout-out to the brother, but some people took it the other way because, you know, we're so biased towards negativity. But nonetheless, I'm thankful to him. I'm thankful to that brother for doing what he's doing, and I do not consider it to be odd that with him being biracial, I believe he is, that he would be the one to take the step. Because what a lot of people don't understand, and this is why within the ranks of Pan-Africanism, we do not draw distinction between Africans with two African parents and Africans with one African parent. In other words, mm. biracial brothers and sisters are our brothers too. And one right. of the things we right. got to understand is sometimes, sometimes the racism that a biracial African experiences mm. can be worse than the racism Absolutely. that the others have experienced. And let me tell you why. You and I don't have to deal with white family members on a regular basis. You and I right. When white people want to talk about us, they do it behind our backs. 
But when right. you are biracial, and I know this because I've done therapy with biracial children and adults, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who are, they have to yeah. deal with the racism in their face. They have Absolutely. to hear yeah. black jokes from their grandma, mm-hmm. black jokes from their aunts and uncles. They have to hear the N-word growing up. So I believe that, brother, more than those of us who do not have a white parent, I believe he is crystal clear about white supremacy because he has seen Absolutely. it in his own family. I salute him. I honor him. Yes, it was only words, but the words came at the right time, at the right place, in the right spot. Face at the right moment. I commend my brother tremendously. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and speaking uh, of of those biracial uh, individuals, it, it reminded me uh, of you saying that uh, when I was in college, and a girl um, who was biracial um, talked about um, how she was called a mutt by her white grandparents um, growing yes. up. You know, all yes. her life, and. So, you know, and she, you know, uh, and you talked about earlier in the show, you know, if you're constantly told something, you begin to believe that. So in her mind, you know, she believes that, you know, and so she was called that. And, you know, and and as you spoke about, you know, for them having to witness this stuff right there in their face, and that's what she dealt with on a daily basis is hearing her, her white grandparents, unfortunately, talk negatively. Um, about black people and how her mother, you know, uh, made a, a crucial hard mistake by being uh, intimate, you know, with a black man. And so she was right there, you know, at it um, and seeing it. And so many um, are seeing that on a daily basis, you know. Oh, keep in mind, during his first term, President Obama caught himself a mutt on stage. If you remember that, it was all over the news. He referred to himself wow. as a mutt. Oh, yeah. Where did mm. he get that from? His white racist yeah. grandparents. He says it in his yeah. book. He said it in speeches. He had to grow up hearing his white grandparents use the N-word on a regular basis. And yeah. I do not believe that that, in part, is due in no small measure to Barack Obama's apathy towards black people. He internalized a lot of the lessons that his white grandparents taught him about black people. I do not think his neglect of black people is totally political. I think some of it is psychologically. He was raised as a white boy by racist white grandparents. I believe a lot of what he did not do for us and had nothing to do with any political agenda. He does not Mm -hmm. like his black skin. Hmm. Very, very interesting. And uh, once again, you guys who are out there, tune in. We are almost at the Umar Johnson, you guys. Um, and we still have lots of callers on the line listening. We definitely appreciate you guys um, calling from all over the globe. And those of you that are tuning in, I know some folks are getting off of words that you're listening to us on your drive home as well. So we appreciate you guys. Uh, once again, if you're out there, feel free to call in. The number is 347-326-9139. Go ahead and press the number one, um, and we'll bring you on here as well, you guys. And so, um, Dr. Umar, um, at the end of the day, um, as you were going uh, visiting uh, state to state, city to city, uh, what is Dr. Umar's ultimate um, goal um, in traveling from city to city, state to state? What is, what is your ultimate goal? My lecturing, my, unlike other scholars whose mm-hmm. lecture work is really their only work, Um, My lecturing is only a support to my real work Um, because I do have a professional career as a school psychologist and an educator. My true work is fighting to protect our children, fighting 
to help our parents fighting against depression and suicide because I am a psychotherapist. You see, so that's my, my lecturing is just a support. It's not the mainstay. Many people would think right. that my lecturing is the heart of my work because I am the most requested black scholar on the face of the earth. But no matter how right. much I speak, Tarine can never replace my true work. My true work is the National Independent Black Parent Association. My true work is the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey College Tour that begins the day after tomorrow. My true work is the advocacy I do with my Tuesday morning call that I've been giving out free consultations worth thousands to parents for the past three or four years. My true work is taking brothers and sisters to Africa where they can reconnect. My true work is building the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey Academy. That's my true work. The lecturing is just to raise the consciousness. So you say, what is my goal for lecturing? My goal for lecturing is to motivate our people to get off their lazy asses and do something about their reality. That's the purpose of my lecture. If I come to your city and you come out to hear me and I did not change the way that you behave politically, if I did not change the way that you behave economically, if I did not change Mm -hmm. the way you run your family, interact with your child, uh, deal with other black people, that my lecture was a waste of your time and it was a failure for me. The purpose of my lecture, again, in contrast to other scholars, most of them just want to inform you. Most of them just want to raise your consciousness. Yes, I right. do inform. Yes, I do raise consciousness. But the purpose mm-hmm. of a Dr. Umar Ifatunde lecture is to motivate you into action. To the extent I do that city by city, I'm a success or a failure. Did I change the way you think and behave? And if I didn't, the lecture was a waste of time. You guys heard it right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show, guys. Um, Man, uh, Dr. Umar, I have uh, to tell you uh, what an honor it has been having you here on the show. And one more thing, Um, let me let them know again, if I may, Queen, before you close on out. Sure. You can get your tickets for any events at princeofpanafricanism.eventbrite.com. I repeat, princeofpanafricanism.eventbrite.com. That is Prince of Pan-Africanism. One word, no spaces. We spell Africa with a K. Prince of Pan-Africanism.eventbrite.com. Website, drumarjohnson.com. Email drumarjohnson at Yahoo. A resume email, if you want to send your resume in to work at the Fred Douglas Marcus Garvey Academy, that is fdmgresumes, fdmgresumes at gmail.com. Phone numbers, there's two, one for texting, one for calling. The calling number is 8444-DR-UMAR. I repeat, 844-D-R-U-M-A-R. And the text number is 215-989-9858, 215-989-9858. Please donate to the College Tour by sending a small donation to paypal.me slash Umar the Psychologist, donate to the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy, GoFundMe.com. And if you need a copy of any flyer or the mailing address to mail in your donation, text 215-989-9858. Thank you so much for having me on your show, my sister. Absolutely. And, oh, one more quick question, Dr. Umar. Uh, this sure. is coming from Brian from Clearwater, Florida. He, uh, This is a reference um, to you mentioning um, a little while ago about wanting to take uh, individuals um, to Africa to live. Um, he says, uh, we have a lot of people always stating that we should go back to Africa. 
uh, what, do you, what does Dr. Umar believe that we will obtain by going back to Africa and living there that we can bring and apply here in the U.S.? Excellent question, and I think that is so fitting that it is the last yeah. one. As Pan-Africanists, yeah. we believe in repatriation. As Pan-Africanists, we believe in repatriation. We believe in order for the freedom of all Africans internationally, some of us are going to have to sacrifice our so-called good life in America, London, and Canada, and go back home, Caribbean as well, go back to Africa and help build her up. Central to the thinking of Pan-Africanism is that black people are treated the way we are treated because we have abandoned Africa, left her to be strong enough to look out for us across the world, we suffer. In other words, Africa is the mother. We have to build her up and make her strong. Why aren't Chinese kids murdered in America by police? Why aren't Arab kids murdered in America by police, even with the so-called war on terror? Because they have strong countries that will speak up on their behalf. But who, what country can black people go to to speak up on our behalf anywhere across the world? We have no country to speak up on our behalf. Pan-Africanism says until Africa is strong, you will always be weak. Let me say it again. Until Africa is strong, you will always be weak. And let me add to that, Queen, that we're not taking everybody to Africa. Marcus Garvey never led a Back to Africa movement. Umar Johnson is not leading a Back to Africa movement. Marcus Garvey said, quote, we are only looking to send to Africa those Africans who have something positive and constructive Mm -hmm. contribute to the regeneration of our mother continent. Marcus Garvey further said, quote, some of you are no good right here in America and will justly be no good in Africa either. I do not Mm -hmm. want to put 40 million Negroes on an airplane and send them to Africa. Africa got enough problems of her own. She don't need gay people. She don't need black men with white wives. She don't need black women with white husbands. She don't need perm, weave, basketball, football. She don't need scandal. She don't need empire. She don't need gangs. She don't need none of the filth and decadence that we have evolved into during our sojourn on America. And that's specifically why, my goddess, that before we go to Africa, I will interview interview and orient everyone I select to go with me to make sure you are able to control your willy lynch Mm -hmm. through your higher African consciousness so you don't go to Africa and create more problems than you stop. No pan-Africanist has ever been about taking all black people home. As Garvey said, some of you are no good here, and you will likewise be no good in Africa all right, and uh, we got one more last caller on the line. Sure. Uh, that Dr. Umar is going to take you guys, and we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we got area code four two four, last digits nine 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 two. Uh, state your name and where you're calling from. Hello, caller, are you there? Area code four two four, last digits nine 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 two. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, hold on. Let me get you back. Okay. Okay, Carly, state your name and where you're calling from. My name is Monica. I'm actually in Los Angeles. I just called to listen in. Okay. 
Awesome, awesome. So you didn't have any questions or comments for Dr. Umar? Well, I'd just like to um, offer him my 100% support, and uh, I am interested in the repatriation um, task force, so I'll be keeping in touch. Thank you. Appreciate the support, Queen. Awesome. Thank you so much for calling in. We definitely appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Awesome, awesome. Uh, As I said, Dr. Umar, it has definitely been a pleasure. I thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join me over here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show um, and to uh, embrace our listeners and our callers. I definitely appreciate you um, and all that you do. Um, and, uh, I thank you, love. Thank you, love. If you can, send me a link to the show. Please send I will. me a link to I your show. Forgive me that. for cutting you off um, so I can post that for you on my Facebook, Instagram, and uh-huh. Twitter. And I also want to thank you and commend you so much for not bringing up any useless gossip, slander, <laughs> or other irrelevant yeah. information. So often I do these interviews. Obviously, I get interviewed yeah. more than any other scholar, and sometimes the whole interview is nothing but gossip, slander, yeah. hearsay, and character And I thank you for conducting such a positive and professional interview. I thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And before you get ready to get out here, once again, give people those um, social media outlets because I want them to be able to yes. connect with uh, you. Twitter, at Dr. Umar Johnson, D-R-U-M-A-R Johnson. Uh, Instagram, at Dr. Umar Johnson, D-R period, U-M-A-R Johnson. And Facebook, Dr. Umar Ifatunde, I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E. And you can text me for any of the flyers for any of the cities event that you want to come to. I will text you the flyer straight from my phone. 215-989-9858. If you need to leave me a voicemail, you should call 8444-DR-UMAR. Email Dr. Umar Johnson at yahoo.com. And please make a donation to the Fred Douglas Marcus Garvey Academy School fundraiser. And please make a donation to uh, Thursday's College Tour, paypal.me slash Umar the Psychologist. Absolutely wonderful once again. Thank you so much. I definitely will be in contact with you, and you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thank you, Queen. Be blessed. All right. All right, you guys. That was Dr. Umar Johnson. You guys, I'm going to be sharing his information on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. He is going. I'm going to get the information out there to you guys, to all the callers across the globe who called in this afternoon, who have tuned in from various places. We appreciate you so much. Once again, I ask you guys to go download our app. That's YRN 1328, available on iPhone and Android, so that you can listen to more of the beautiful Butterfly Show and the awesome uh, other hosts and platforms that we offer here on your radio network. Once again, big kudos to Dr. Umar for joining us, blessing us, inspiring us, and most of all, making us conscious, you guys. So with that said, we are going to get ready to get out of here. I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, Be uh, sure to join me again on Thursday. Uh, We have Erica Michelle joining us. She's going to be coming on. She's a broken heart specialist, you guys, and we're going to be here same time, same place at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Beautiful Butterfly Show. You can connect with me on Facebook, Bianca Fly, on uh, Twitter at Butterfly Show. Um, you can join us on Facebook, our family page, the Beautiful Butterfly Show. So with that said, you guys, we're going to get ready to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic rest of your evening. And I'll see you guys back here again on Thursday.